Just a Good Conversation, podcast number seven. Today, my guest, Scott Hemmelstein, is a realtor. Is that a good say? Can I say realtor? Is you it, can. Is, is that okay? Yeah, realtor, real estate agent. I think I think it all comes with the territory. Scott, thank you for taking the time today. An honor to be here. This is a crazy time, and I needed to get someone on to talk about real estate. There's a lot of people that are buying, selling, scared to buy, scared to sell, don't know what to do. Let's jump right into it. What is the market like? Well, hey, again, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. It's, you know, it's, I haven't seen you in a while, so it's always good to catch up with you. But yeah, look, I mean, it is crazy right now. I've been doing this 16 years. I've been through a few different markets and I've been through a few seller markets. And what we're seeing right now is unprecedented. You know, uh, if you go back to the end of March when COVID really hit hard, uh, I actually had eight escrows fall out in five days. Oh my goodness. And you know, at that point, you didn't know what was gonna happen because the amount of volatility in the secondary mortgage market uh, resulted in rates being in a four and a half. And you know, at the beginning of March, you were looking around three and a quarter. So to go from three and a quarter to four and a half, obviously that's why you had a lot of buyers back out. Sure. Um, You had a lot of programs went away. So the bank statement programs, programs for self-employed buyers, those went away. We had two that were in the last week of escrow and both of them, they had to cancel because uh, the buyers again were using those two programs. So, so, so that just really, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen. No, it's crazy. And that was only four months ago. Right. And and it it feels like forever at the same time. That, that's what, that's what makes it so funny. And so look like, you know, at that time, you know, you didn't know. And then what started happening, everything started to settle down a bit. And due to a lot of factors, external factors, the rate started dropping. And, you know, even during COVID at the beginning, there were still a lot of buyers out there. You know, in fact, when the mayor and the governor here in California uh, actually announced on March 26th, the full stay at home order, we had two listings come on the market that next day and there weren't a lot of protocols. And, you know, I'm sure there were things that we probably bent the rules a little bit, but we had to take a lot of precautions. You know, people had to wear, you know, the foot booties, they had to wear gloves, they had to wear sure. a mask, we had to provide sanitizer. Uh, you know, there's still not even open houses right now. Right. So, so, and, you know, so what happened was, is both those properties ended up with multiple offers that weekend. And that, that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. And at that point, I knew that we were going to be into a frenzy because really? if all that took place and the first week and people still wanted to buy, it meant that the market, the housing market was going to be OK. And so, you know, it makes sense because, you know, if you think about it, uh, you know, the inventory was really low to begin with. Sure. You had a lot of pent up demand heading into the spring. So that, you, and that's a buying time, right? Buying Selling time. and buying time. Correct. So it, you already had that, and the rates were already low, and you already had a migration into the suburbs because a lot of people were priced out of more affluent areas. So over here in the San Fernando Valley, people are coming from the west side, Pasadena, Burbank, Glendale. Sure. You know, maybe if you're out in the, uh, the Orange County, you know, a lot of people were going into the IE and other areas because it's just a lot more affordable. Right. So I think... 
it took maybe about 25, 30 days to kind of have people's employment situation settle down. Right. And now a lot of people are working from home and that's going to be permanent. So now you have a bigger rush of people moving to the suburbs. Right. They so, don't need to be in the city or. That's right. right. And, and, you know, and maybe they don't want to be. They, maybe they don't want to be cooped up. You know, maybe, you know, especially if you're raising a family, being on the west side is not conducive to raising a family. No, With it's traffic, not. you don't have enough parks and, and whatnot. It takes, you know, an hour to find a parking space at, to go to the supermarket. What? So all of that, I think, just makes it uh, more conducive for buyers that wanted to be looking out, uh, you know, here in the San Fernando Valley. And, and that trend's already been happening for the last few years just because it's more affordable and people were willing to take on the sure. commute. And now you don't have to worry about the commute as much. Yeah, if you take that commute out of play, right? San Fernando Valley all of a sudden becomes like a gold mine. That's right. And you throw in the really good schools. So just everything on top of that was kind of like icing on the cake. And then the rates started dropping and they kept dropping and dropping. And currently, you know, you're looking at 3%. So, you know, we have one that just got an offer accepted 900,000 at 2.875% conventional 30 year fixed. And the money's so cheap right now. So, you know, up, up, when you get into the higher price points, you see a little bit of a larger down payment. But anything like under 700,000, I'd say it's 10, five or 10% down just because the, the money being lent is so cheap. And so, you know, I'll give you a great example. Like I was telling this to, 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 to my wife the other day, you know, if back in 2018 in the fall, the rates were in the high fours. So if you purchased a home at 750,000 okay. with a 4.8 interest rate and you were able to buy today, uh, you get like about a 3% interest rate at 850, your payment including taxes and insurance would still be cheaper by a couple hundred dollars at 850 than it would be at 750. And that's, so that's unbelievable. So so that's why so that's why you have this incredible feeding frenzy. So what's happening is, again, you know, as I said before, you don't have open houses right now. Right. I mean, can so, you imagine if you did? It, it would your be. Your weekends would be a circus. Well, they already are. So what we have to do for our listings is, you know, on the weekends, we usually take a block of time to make it easier for our sellers um, because we know they're going to be bombarded with showings. And I just did one over the weekend. We had literally 35 showings and literally, you know, 24 hours. And we just basically every 15 minutes, we had a different showing. <laughs> wow. And so I, I'll give you another example. We had one up in Porter Ranch where uh, the house came on the market on a Thursday. Uh, I texted the agent who I actually know on a Friday night. There were only showings from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Okay. Okay. So the home had already been on the market for 24 hours. He said that um, there was no way to accommodate us because even by Friday night, they had over 40 showings scheduled. And I followed up with him on Monday morning and he said he had 11 offers. Oh my goodness. So everybody is seeing how cheap it is right now to get money and to be able to buy a house. So everybody wants to jump on that bandwagon. You'd be a fool if you didn't. Right, exactly. So so that's the, that's the buyer side. So the seller side is a little more intriguing. So you already had a housing crisis as far as inventory goes. Sure. Because over the course of the last decade, um, because a lot of people bought at the lower end of the market, right. um, interest rates have been historically low over the course of the last decade. So, And especially now with what the interest rates are right now, is what's happening is, let's just say I own a condo. 
maybe it's a $450,000, $500,000 condo, right? Well, if I bought it five, six years ago, I probably already have a good amount of equity in the actual townhouse. Oh, yeah. So as a result, you know, I'm able to keep that townhouse and I can still buy in a property that's 850,000, 900,000. There's a very good chance that I qualify. So if that's the case, then all that inventory at the lower end of the market, it's not coming on the market. It's all rentals. And so that's inventory that you don't get. And then you don't you're not really seeing foreclosures right now. And even if you did see some foreclosures down the road, which is a distinct possibility, sure. I think, you know, the fact that the interest rates are so low, it's going to keep the prices pretty level. So, you know, in most areas here in Southern California, you hear it talked about a lot all over the news. Where else are you going to build? Right. You know, where are you going? Right. Like I remember there was an episode on Million Dollar Listing where they were talking about the only place to build is up. So, you know, which is the trend now is to see sky rises, you know, high rise condos. Right. And you don't have a lot of that in the valley. No. and, And you don't. And you have some new construction here and there. But by and large, there's just nowhere else to build anymore. And especially nobody wants their neighborhood to be built up anymore. So there's a lot of, sure. you, you know, a lot of neighbors that don't want new construction in their neighborhood. And right. So, so you know, unless you go farther out, um, you know, you're not going to find, you know, uh, you know, a lot of places that are available. So it's just it's just crazy. So I think you just you put all that stuff in the pot and you end up with a market that's never been seen before. Yeah, I mean, with COVID changing the way, and this is weird to even say, industry works. Now, so many people are going to be working from home. Mm -hmm. That changes how people are going to look at their house. I can use a different room now. That's going to become my office, like a real office, not a weekend (laughs) office where you do taxes or write it on a checkbook, which most people don't even remember what a checkbook is. (laughs) But now you need a full-fledged office. So that home looking for homes is really going to change you can go a little farther right out away from LA or a Chicago Miami you don't have to be stuck right in the city and and I think you bring up a good point Matt is that you know I think when people were at home during the stay at home order or uh, order for for COVID people had a lot of time to pontificate on what they actually want, especially, you know, maybe they glossed over some things in their house that they didn't like. And, you know, with, with their living situation that, hey, you know what, maybe this is a good time to be able to deal with it after having to be forced to confront whatever maybe they didn't like their living situation in their house. So, sure. so I think, you know, I think that's also another a reason why you're seeing more buyers in the pool. I think people didn't spend a lot of money during that time, so now they have a more of a down payment. You know, it, it's just it's just <laughs> yeah. it's just a plethora of different uh, reasons of why the market is where it is right now. And most of the, the two biggest reasons: interest rates and obviously the lack of inventory. All right, so we've known each other for a while. Give mm-hmm. me a little quick backstory on how you got into the real estate game. So yeah, so you know, I was fortunate enough to be working in the sports industry for a while. Right, that's uh, where we knew each other. That's right. In college, I was fortunate enough to be uh, to work with all the different uh, networks covering everything from NBA, NFL, college football, basketball. And then when I got out of college, I was hired to do Cal State Northridge uh, football and basketball play by play. Well, well, you said football. Football. I was ninety nine <laughs> in two thousand, and then the good old days. The good old days, and that was in the Big Sky Conference. <laughs> 
and uh, and then afterwards there was an opening at Long Beach State and uh, knew a few people in the athletic department and I ended up being their radio voice for nine seasons. Yeah, and that's where we met. We had that's a great it. time. It was it was definitely fun times. Uh, a lot of great people like yourself that I was able to be introduced to. Right. And then so, you know, back in 2003, the writing was on the wall for the sports industry of just how things were gonna change. Uh, you know, there were cutbacks already. Um, and so, you know, I was trying to figure out like, well, I mean, this is going to be a hard industry to be able to really stay right. it's in. It's a t- tough it, nut to crack. Right. And, uh, you know, my mom says, why don't you just get your real estate license? And I said, mom, like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Moms. Uh, right. Exactly. What do moms know? <laughs> and th- my mom just kept pushing me on it. And I finally, I'm like, well, if you stop asking me if I get it, will you stop? Will you leave me alone at least? And that's a uh, good mom. Yeah. Good mom. Um, and sure enough. Um, so, you know, one day I decided like, well, what am I going to do with this license? And I started interviewing with different brokerages. And uh, it's funny because, you know, at that time it was a very good seller's market, you know, back in 2004. Sure. And a lot of a lot of uh, offices, when you speak with the broker, they say, oh yeah, you're gonna make a lot of money, you're gonna make. And I interviewed with an independent boutique brokerage and the owner said, well, if you're willing to be teachable and accountable, you'll be successful. And that resonated because at the end of the day, you know, I think like anything else, you know, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. Sure. And so that ended up working out really well. And 2004, I started, I did kind of maybe three quarters of the way. And then 2009, uh, we were so busy that I ended up giving the Long Beach State gig. So that was the, that was the last gig. And then, you know, I still freelance here and there for a few different events. Right, because I would see you pop into a, a football game yep. here or you know, baseball game there, and there you are with your lathered in sunscreen and a hat on so we don't bake in the sun. Exactly, exactly. So you know, at this point, you know, when you work, it's more of just a hobby more than anything else. Right, so now you're fully into it. Full into it. And, and you're enjoying yourself. I love it. You know, it's, it's running a business. You know, it's about the relationships about the people you meet uh it's challenging uh because you know there's a lot of things outside of your control that you that you're dealing with something like this covid covid right and you (laughs) know i told you as a young realtor there's going to be a virus that's going to throw everything upside down you'd say what are you talking about right but you know what i also i always look at these type of situations as an opportunity. Sure. And I think I think that's the mindset you have to have. So for me, it's like, okay, well, if I'm gonna lose this time from doing the normal prospecting and lead generation that I would normally do as an agent, then I have to take the time to get better. Right. And, and you're and, a person who definitely is gonna come out better on this. Right. And so and so that's that's what's kind of started to happen now. And you know, for us it's it's worked out okay. You know, we've I wanted to make a bunch of changes and I was able to sit down because with today's technology, I think it's just the consumer demands it. I think that, that that's another end result of COVID is you know, uh, you know, you and I were talking before, I think that my industry is maybe the most archaic of industries in the entire country. Sure. And the one of the last to change, but I think now that because it's necessitated by COVID, I think you're gonna see lenders, the counties, whether it be maybe recording title electronically, I I think they're just gonna see those changes over time. And so, you know, changes that were probably on the horizon in the next five to 10 years, like we're in the middle of a digital renaissance in my industry. Right, I mean, why was it so slow? Uh, I just, you know, I just, people just, like anything else, you know, human nature, people- resistance to change. Yeah, people just resistance to change and they don't wanna have to change. And I tell people, agents, here at even in my office, like, this is what you need to be doing 
and it falls on deaf ears. But you know, it's like a lot of things in life. I think it's not because people don't want to, but it's unfamiliarity. So the unfamiliarity of having to learn something, um, you know, I mean, just take something simple. Like I remember, I think it was like eight or nine years ago where I switched from a PC notebook to Mac. And I remember like the first month, it was painful. Trying to just it, it find get, stuff it, and get things and to was, work. It, and, and the things I was looking for was like, how do you open all the photos at once? And, <laughs> you know, it, not, nothing difficult. Sure. But, but I didn't know it because I was not familiar with the system. And once you learned it, it was, this is very easy. And it's, and you know, th- there's always so many constant changes right now. And I just think that the agent who takes the time to be able to learn and incorporate the technology you know, is going to be the one who's going to be left standing at the end of the day in the next few years. And you're way ahead of uh, on that curve. Your blog, your posts, your, your, your restaurant reviews you're doing now, those things are fantastic. I mean, that caught my eye and I was like, good for you, Scotty. That's great <laughs> stuff. And, you know, you know I, I like doing it. Like, you know, again, you know, obviously I come from a communications background and, and media background. And, you know, I, I think there's so many things that happen in my business every day. And most of the stuff from the videos that we do, especially on the real estate side, it's because those are the questions that I get or right. or the things that I'm telling my, my clients on a daily basis. And so, you know, there's so much misinformation like there is with COVID in real estate right now. Sure. So it's, you know, it's our obligation, you know, as real estate agents to make sure the public actually understands what's taking place right now currently in the marketplace. Well, let's talk about your media presence. What got you to, to make that switch to like, let's start doing a blog, let's start shooting some video, put my face in front of the camera and present to my clients. So I think in two, all the way back in 2012, uh, I met an agent back in, uh, I wanna say in New Jersey, like Jersey Shore area. Okay. And uh, he does a lot of volume and he was doing video. He was doing high-end video back then. Wow, and that, I mean, eight years ago, that sounds not that far, but in video and in real estate, that's 100 years. Especially, and I think back then, that's when they had the flip camera. Sure. And uh, so it just gives you an idea of how technology has changed. And I realized, yeah, you know, nobody was doing video. Uh, it was a great, easy way to be able to reach people and get your message out and not be uh, super expensive, but be able to, you know, we just found even from the get-go that the response to video was a lot better than it was to just a regular text message or a flyer, right. Right. And so, and then, you know, especially those videos stayed around because they were were very evergreen and you could use them all over the place. And, you know, we, a, a client would have a question about something and I would just text them the link to the video. That's brilliant. And that, and then there you have it. And so now these days, you know, with all the technology that's involved, like I think, you know, if you're a real estate agent, I always joke that I'm not sure if I if I run a real estate team or if I run a real estate uh, media company, <laughs> because it does feel at times that like I that's all I do is on the media side. But it is fun. I mean, you know, again, I come from that background. So for me, it's not painful. It's not painful. It's fun. It's I, I like doing it. Um, I like putting together the content. Um, and you know we've we built a pretty good following as a result. I, I definitely would say it's a what you're doing makes you a notch above everybody immediately because right. it shows a presence and understanding. You're you're right. evolving. You're advancing. They're simple. They're quick. They're not 20 minute videos. They're really right. short and precise. You answer a question. You nail it. And you 
you're in, you're out. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, is the biggest mistake I think that agents in our in our business make is they forget that you know, as a consumer, you're bombarded with things from multiple different sides. I mean, I know you have kids. I have a four-year-old. I have a one-year-old. As a consumer, my attention span at best, at best, is that of a kindergartner. Right. And and so you have to take that into consideration of how you package your media content to the consumer. Sure. Make it quick and precise. Right. Now, where could they find your stuff um, so that they can find it multiple different places we're on Facebook we're on Instagram uh, it, YouTube we have over 300 videos in our library we have everything from uh, seller and buyer tips to uh, market updates to our home video tours uh, for YouTube you could find us at uh, YouTube dot Scott works w-o-r-k-s the number four Letter U dot com. I, so, I, so I, think YouTube. I think I've watched all 300 of those in the last week. So you're going to have <laughs> yeah. a little uptick. I, just you, you know, know. YouTube should be giving you a badge if you've watched all, <laughs> all 300 of, of those. But you know what? It's funny about that uh, is that, you know, if you watch from the beginning, it's like anything else, like riding a bike or it, you, you just get better. And yeah. there, there's a, a motivational speaker. I don't know if you heard it. His name's Gary Vanderchuk. No. And he's very well known. And uh, so... Earlier this spring during COVID, his he posted his very first video that he did uh, about 11 years ago. Okay. And uh, it was at a wine store that he was working in. It was horrific. It, w- it was, I mean, it was painful to watch. Okay. And uh, now he's done over 60,000 videos. Whoa. And he can, he can talk about anything for any amount of time. So it's like anything in life like the more you do it sure the, you know just go out there and do it I always tell people whatever you want to do just go out there do it don't try to be perfect because uh, you know in this case if I have a crappy video it's better than somebody who hasn't done a video at all right you've got one you've got that's 300 it. videos ahead of the guy who has zero that's right so so definitely like YouTube that's a big spot we have our videos at youtube.scottworksforyou.com uh, you know also you know our, our Instagram page which is just my name Scott Himmelstein and uh, you know we post a lot of our stuff there uh, I, I you know we're in the process of putting together a community blog called Eat Live Love San Fernando Valley so that'll be launched in I September I can't wait for that and we're really excited about that and uh, so, you know, it's just, uh, you know, a variety of different things that, you know, that we have on the table right now. I love that you're putting your fingers in the community a little bit and like touching restaurants, doing a little real estate and getting around. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, and especially as a real estate agent, I deal with so many members of the community. And so it's, you know, it's funny because people always always kind of stick to like their own three, four mile radius, wherever they live. Sure. doesn't matter where they live. It's always like that. Right. And so they only know the restaurants in like a three, four mile radius and they don't know anything out, outside of that. And then a lot of times, even within that three, four mile radius in a large urban setting, they don't know a lot of the places. Or right. They're by and, you know, they only end up going visiting to chain restaurants right. when there's so many good options that they have at their disposal. Right. And that drives me nuts when people only go the same eight to 12 restaurants uh-huh. in that three or right. five. I'm like, you seven miles away there's a better mom and pop place right exactly and it has really good food and you'll be rewarded for and you're helping out a small business which is the most important thing absolutely all right so let's talk about buying right i'm a young couple we're gonna buy a house what do you need to do what's their game plan if they come to you right i think the first thing is you know we have a consultation with them we meet with them 
we kind of will walk them through the process, answer all their questions, give them a detailed uh, what to expect during the process, uh, not only from showings to how to write an offer, what to expect during escrow. Because like anything else, the more knowledge you have as a consumer, the, the more power you have. Right. Right. And the more the more informed decision you make, it's going to be a better one for you. So that's the most important. Um, so we always like to have them come to the office and have a consultation with them first. And then usually if they're not pre-approved already, we like them to uh, pre-approve with our lender. And, you know, if you're not, you're kind of putting the cart before the horse. Okay, right. Because, you know, if you want to go look at $700,000 homes, you find your dream house, and then you find out you're only pre-approved to 550. Well, then it's, a, then, it's a, then it's a tough situation. Should they know their credit score before even coming into the office? Uh, I think most people usually know your credit score. Okay. You know, if you're thinking about buying, you've probably already inquired about that. But knowing the lender will help you with two things. One, where you're pre-approved. And if you're not ready or not able to buy at the price point that you would like to to get the home, then at least you know what you need to do over the course of the next few months to be able to get your credit score up. Now, what's a good credit score so people don't have this fear of like, oh, I've got to be at X, otherwise I'm never going to buy a home. Right. I'd say 700 is probably a decent score. I'd say over 720 is really good. And then anything over 740 is probably, you know, 740, 760 and above is top tier. Now, if you get that 740, 760, does that help you with a lender saying, okay, we're going to pre-approve you for even more? Or does it just help you with an interest rate? Yeah, it helps you more with the interest rate. Okay. So it helps, you know, it it probably reduces your APR on that. And so um, your actual interest rate is going to be probably a little bit lower. So I, I think... You know, the higher, the better your credit, the better, you know, your your interest rate is going to be. Sure. What should people have saved up looking for a home? So it, that's the biggest nut. No, to- you're right. And but, but like we talked about in the beginning, you know, you don't need a lot of money now. Right. So, but, so, but even but, then, but, like some people, what they don't know the number. Right. So you don't have to be 20%. Okay. Okay. So now, but if you and, don't, and that's you, what they hear. Mom and dad yells right. like, "You have to have twenty percent." Well, that's because they bought their home in the '62. Right. And so, you know, like we have a client right now that their house is about ready to come on the market. They bought uh, almost forty years ago, and their interest rate was ten and a half. Oh my goodness. <laughs> ten and a half. Uh, so you know, it, it, it's it's all relative. So, but if you don't have twenty percent, you are going to have to pay what's called PMI which is private mortgage insurance. Sure. And that's basically to protect the lender in the event that for whatever reason you default on the loan, uh, the private mortgage insurance would pay off the lender the balance. Right. So so if you don't have, so the, the lower the down payment, the higher your private mortgage insurance is gonna be. So if you come in at 5% down, then that's gonna be a lot higher PMI than uh, 15% down payment. Okay, now does that go away after you get to 20%? Yeah, once you get 20%, um, yeah, or you can refinance, like uh, you know, down the line, you can, you can either request the PMI, the lender, to take it off once you have 20%, okay. or if you're doing a refinance and you have 20%, then you can it'll go away then also. Right, so if you bought a house two years ago, you refi- very good chance, yeah, yes. you refinance now, yeah. you get that great number. Uh-huh. That's fantastic. Yep. So, is it smart to shop around for lenders or? Yes, I, we always recommend talk to at least two lenders. Okay. Um, you know, just to get an idea. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you're not buying a pack of bubble gum from the pharmacy, right? This is a major life decision. Major, major so decision. Our lender uh, recently, uh, we just closed one out in Valley Village, 
and we were representing the seller. And for the sellers, we would make all the buyers pre-approved with our lenders. That way, there's, okay. there's no surprises. Right. I need my beauty sleep at night. <laughs> so, so what happened was uh, they had their own lender, and we made them pre-approved with ours. And our lender was three quarters of a point better than theirs. So they ended up going with our lender. And that's and that in the end, that's a lot that's of a money. Massive amount of money. And right. that, that was a, we're not talking a couple hundred bucks. That, that was an eight fifteen purchase price. Ooh. So so at three quarters of a point makes a world of difference. Ballpark. What is what is that over thirty years? Uh, it's a good amount of money. I mean, I think over thirty years, you're probably looking probably forty thousand or so. It's got to be. It's a, it's a right. good amount of money. See that that is the kind of money people don't understand. What little points mean? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, not they to say go, that uh, most most people don't live in a house for thirty years, but but still, but that's still, forty but, grand but, you're but, giving but, away. But even though, I, because you, even up front, you're talking several. You're talking a few hundred dollars a month. Right. And, you know, a few hundred dollars, that add, that adds up. That's right. almost a car payment. And that makes up the difference of knowing your expenses right. buying a house. Right. Like, right. Because if you've been a renter, now you move into a house, you have to understand now you're paying for everything. Everything. And especially, you know, I think what people forget is, you know, it's not just your monthly payment. It's not just your property taxes. Uh, you know, everything else that you have uh, on top of that includes, you know, your water bill, especially if you have a large lot, your electricity. You know all these things that you're responsible for the now. City garbage, everything. Tra- you know, trash. Everything. Uh, they, what they throw on the ambulance in there right. every once in a while. Yep. Um, and then the home itself. If you're in an apartment and they need to do a new roof, the apartment pays for it. Right. So you move into a place and the water heater goes bad. That's, that's your it. water it's, it's heater. It's on you. Good yeah. luck. Thanks and for playing. Th- and those are the expenses I think people forget when they're moving into a house. There will now be always home expenses. Right. And you know. Uh, a majority of Southern California is not new construction. So I'd say, I, and I consider like new construction maybe the last 20 years. Sure. That so, makes sense. So most of the stuff that you're looking at is 30 to 70 years old. Right. Especially out in the valley here. Right. Especially out here. So I think that, you know, I always joke that it's kind of like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. That that when they paint the Golden <laughs> so Gate right. Bridge, you know, they, they paint the entire bridge. And by the time they're done... They have to start all over again. Uh-huh. And so it's the same thing with a house. There's always something that you need to be doing. Always. Always. There's always something. Every time you think that there's nothing, it just, um, there's always something right. going on. Sprinklers. Uh-huh. Gate. Always. Yeah. Patching. Always. Painting. There is always Ding something. Digging a drywall. It never ends. It just never ends. I'm just naming my list. I'm sorry, Scott. I was no, just naming. I just, this and, is and my I have two kids, list. you know, and I got, I got kids painting on the wall, drawing on the walls, and all, 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 all sorts of different things. Right. Wait till they get old enough where there's dents in the wall. Yes. Right. How did that happen? Right. Right, 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 right. So I, I think, you know, I think it's just, uh, you, know, you just have to kind of plan for that. But. I mean, the reason why you buy as opposed to renting is now you're investing in yourself. And even if you bought, you know, let's just say two years ago, you know, a good chance, like you said, you know, you're going to have, you know, a 10 to 15 percent equity uh, at least from when you bought two years ago. Wow. Okay, uh, home inspector. Should they come and bring a home inspector, have them look into the house? So I think a home inspector, I mean, you'd be foolish 
not to it. You know, like we said, you know, especially when you have the age of the homes like you do here in the San Fernando, having a really good home inspector is important. Always verify, you know, maybe some of the people that they've helped out in the past. You can look for some reviews online. I'd say the biggest thing with uh, inspections is that it's something that people really overlook is, especially if it's a house, is to actually have a main sewer line inspection. Oh. So something that a lot of agents don't do and a wow. lot of uh, homeowners are not aware of that the homeowner is responsible from the main sewer line, not just to the curb, but all the way to the connection in the street. So that's usually about six feet underground in the middle of the street. Right. So I have yet to meet anybody who gets excited about replacing a main sewer line. No, no, you won't find anybody. No. I think I'm sure. And so we always recommend it's about $300. They send a camera down and it looks for everything from broken pipes. Um, because in the 50s and 60s, they used a material called orange burr. And it's kind of, it's a clay, but it disintegrates. And especially out here with um, settling and seismic activity. So it's a good possibility that you have roots that have intruded into the actual main sewer line pipe, or the actual pipe has actually started to corrode away itself. And then then it's just a free for all underneath the ground. Um, So you have that, you know, you may have uh, uh, large root blockages, uh, you know, it could be, you know, you have a belly in your main sewer, you know, somewhere in your main sewer line and so for three hundred dollars if you're buying a seven hundred and fifty eight hundred thousand dollar house you want to know that yes absolutely you know, you know, because uh, that expense is extraordinary right so we had a i'd say maybe about a decade ago we had one of our clients out in chatsworth and uh, he had to work that day so he wasn't even able to make it to the home inspection but i told him let's schedule the sewer line and he's like scott no no i don't want to pay the three hundred dollars and, oh boy. and I even made him sign a waiver and a disclosure because I knew what was going to happen. And sure enough, nine months after we close escrow, I get a phone call from him. Scott, you're never going to believe this. Just had to spend almost ten grand to replace our main sewer line. And I said, yeah, this is why we recommend our clients to do the main sewer line. He's like, Scott, I just want to let you know. Anytime any of your clients decide they do not want to do the main sewer line, please give them my contact information and I will gladly talk to them. I'll show them my check I just wrote for right. 10 for, for fortunately, uh, you know, we've never actually had that come up. All of our clients do the sewer line inspect. But let me give you a really good example. Um, I was dealing with the, the, the company that we use to do the sewer line inspections. And he told me that, this may be about four or five years ago, where they, uh, it was a house on Wilshire Boulevard on the west side. Okay. So, so before I tell the story, so what happens is if it's a situation where the sewer line is damaged under the street, so you have to get a permit from the city and you have to make arrangements if it affects traffic. Now, if you're on a residential street, you could probably get away with it. It's not, it'll be expensive, but it's not going to be the end-all, end-all. <laughs> but on Wilshire, they said it cost them almost 50 grand. What? what? 50 grand to be able, because of the... I sold the, the permit, house. <laughs> well, sold I, I, I'm sure it's <laughs> over there with Wilshire. I'm sure, on Wilshire, it probably made more sense to keep the house and still do the sewer. That's true. Uh, but, you know, because they, they, they were responsible for 
traffic enforcement, as well as you know the permit, as well as you know to shut down the street, as well as to be able to do the repairs. So it was about a fifty thousand dollar job. Oh my goodness! So usually it's not that expensive, but again, you but know that's a nightmare. It can right. happen, and you'd want to know. And you know it's something that you know it's a little more difficult to do right now because it's a seller's market. But you at least want to have the opportunity to negotiate with the seller. Jesus. So so that that's that's the big one I think for me when it comes to home inspections. All right, so when they get into the house, what should they be looking at? What do you tell them? What do you advise them to see and look and touch? Right. I mean, so it depends what type of house it is. You know, They're if first-time buyers, let's say, because that's right. the majority of what people are right so now. So it depends on the condition of the house. I mean, if you're if you're looking at a house that's completely dated that hasn't been touched since 1950 outside of the garbage disposal which happens <laughs> from time to time then you know you're probably going to be besides the home inspector I think the home inspector is going to you just want to know the, the the main things like the roof how you know how much life do you have left in the roof what's the HVAC unit you know what's the quality of that again the main sewer line um, you know just the plumbing the electrical you know things that you're going to have to do because most air like, conditioning heating heating yep those those items which falls those under the age ticket. Those are big ticket rights. And I, I think if you're looking at a house that's completely dated, you know, you're probably going to be redoing everything anyways. Right. So if you now if you're looking at a, a house that old, you don't go, oh, worry about the paint. You can change no. paint. Pa- paint can Carpet. change, carbs, flooring. Stop. You can that's change. You can change electrical outlets. Right. You know, th- those a doorknob, that, a water heater, even, even a water heater. Right. You know, you're worried more about foundation, roof, electrical panel, uh, the heating and air conditioning. How old are they? You know, the average lifespan of a of a condenser unit AC is 17 years. So you know, I think I I just sold one. We were representing the seller. Uh, it was from like 1980. So that was a little past its life expectancy. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, if Reagan was in office and that was your air conditioning <laughs> unit, get it cleaned and checked. Right. And so uh, you know, those are those are the things that you you know that you want to you know you want to take you know take a look at, uh, you know. And I think obviously you know because a lot of the sellers won't pay for it. The other one is wood destroying pests. So okay. so so a few things follow under that category. Um, there's the termite, which what people think of. You have your dry wood, which fly and migrate, and you also have your sub. Terrain, which usually they're around the soil, around the around the house, or a lot of times they're in the garage, and those are easy. Those are local local treatments, um, and then the other big one is a lot of times is uh, you have fungus or dry rot in the actual you know the eaves, the fascia, um, those areas, and a lot of time that results, especially if you don't have rain gutters, sure. that, that ends up being you know be, being the end result. Um, so you know those aren't big deals, but you know again you know uh, you know for my sellers, uh, you know I'm looking at. You know, if, if you have, like we had one recently, it was going to be seven grand to replace the covered patio. And it made more sense because the house wasn't on the market yet to just pay almost $800 and just have it taken out and not be there at all. So, 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 you know, for the sellers, we always recommend getting the termite report up front. So that way, you know, there is no, you know, there is, there's no monkey that's going to come out of the closet during escrow. Surprise. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, now. I wish we had done this more. I don't know if you preach this to your clients is going in different times of the day, seeing the house in the morning, seeing the house in the afternoon, right? You can buy a house 
near a school and you wouldn't know it if you're looking at it on a Saturday and all of a sudden on Tuesday you get screaming kids in the distance or how close you are to the airport is there a train nearby talk to the neighbors do you kind of promote any of that or is yeah that- I think you, you know what's funny the very first house I ever showed was out in Simi Valley very first house okay how did that go oh well check this out so, so it's a beautiful house okay uh, and we were trying to figure out why in the world was this house on the market for like 40 days? I mean, it's a beautiful house, great backyard, and I'm standing in the backyard with my buyers, and a Metrolink train goes right behind the backyard fence. I mean, just right there. Like right there. N- not like two blocks away, literally right behind the fence. I was oh. like, oh, well, that would be why. So, I mean, these days, like, I have a That's pretty- That's hard. See, because they built that house before the Metrolink. That's right, yes. It comes in, and now you're screwed. Right. So nothing you can do about that. Right. You know, uh, I mean, you know, out here in North Hills and Van Nuys, you got to be careful because you might be in the flight path for Van Nuys Airport, which gets a lot of traffic. Sure. Uh, you know, it just certain things. You got uh, what's uh, Bob Hope Airport? Yep. You got to play yeah, with. You got to play all those. So I just think you know, as your real estate agent should be cognizant of a lot of those things. You know, here up in the North San Fernando Valley, uh, because we get a lot of buyers that come from other parts of LA, um, I have to prepare them for wind. Oh. Like the Santa Ana winds. Right. And we had one, it was 2012, I think, that, that they were moving from Culver City, and we entered escrow in December, and every time we were up here, it was the most glorious winter day. It was beautiful out, no wind at all. And every time <laughs> I, I, every time I told them, I, you know, like, just be surprised. Like, don't get used to this. It's going to get windy. And they made fun of me. I was like the boy who cried wolf. And, uh, and even when we gave them the keys on a Super Bowl Sunday, I gave them the keys. It was a nice day out. And they moved in four days later. And two days after they moved in, I get a call from the wife. Hey, Scott, who's your window guy? Now we know what you mean about the winds. <laughs> so, you know, it's, you know, having a good agent who understands some of the nuances, like this is why it makes sense to have a local agent. Sure. Uh, you know, as opposed, like, you know, I could help, you know, clients down in Orange County. We've done it for friends. I think we did one in Redlands last year uh, for one of our past clients. But, you know, for buying a home, you really need someone who's hyper local. You need someone who you want to know who knows the schools, who knows the boundaries of the schools. Right. Uh, you know, who knows that, you know, what's going on in the community that may or may not affect the home prices. So I just think, you know, an agent who has their ear to the ground is going to be more beneficial and, again, provide more information, you know, for, for the client to make a better decision. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, like, you know, as a listing agent, if I'm dealing with a really far out of area agent, because every once in a while I'll get like an offer from someone in San Diego, you know, put yourself in the shoes of the listing agent and the seller. Do they really want to be dealing with someone who's that far, who, who doesn't know everything, you know, what's taking place in the community? No, no. You yeah. want to know where that metro line is. That, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was definitely a learning. I, now I could tell you the streets in Simi Valley that, uh, that actually have... Uh, you know that are really close to the train track, so so yeah. you no surprises, no surprises. Is there anything else buyers should be aware of, looking for? Well, I think when you're looking for a property, I think you know having the right agent makes a makes a world of difference. Okay, um, you know, especially when you're a first timer. First time, it's buy- terrifying, right? And buyers assume that all agents are equal, and they're not. 
So, no. so we so literally before you came over here today, we just signed off on a home. Uh, we had eight offers on it. Eight offers only held two days of showings, and we had eight Jeez. offers on it. And so it's interesting, you know, I get offers. Um, I had one that was, even though it was a full list price, they made all these demands in there. And then we had another one who, agent who sent me the offer. Uh, it, their clients signed the offer electronically, which most people do these days. But instead of sending me the fully executed from their side, they sent it to me as if I had to sign it. So the only way I could access the offer was for me to actually sign it. And obviously, why am I going to do that? Right. <laughs> right. And then I have another one who asked for $15,000 in closing costs. We had another one who asked for all sorts of like really long time period contingencies. We asked another one for a longer period, you know, time of escrow because they had to work out some stuff with the IRS. And so, you know, <laughs> it, you know, if you're going to get your offer accepted, you know, it really starts with your agent. You know, it, you, you're competing with multiple offers. A and lot, so, yes. Yes. And so uh, there was a house out in Woodland Hills and uh, it came on the market for 580000 and I knew it was going to go close to 700000 and our one of our clients wanted to write six twenty five, and I said, don't even waste your time. Right. You're, you're not, it's not going to happen. It sold for over 700000 They had 65 offers on it. Jeez. And 65 offers. So, so the question is, the reason why I bring that up is, how do you differentiate yourself? Well, there's a couple ways, you know, to be able to get your offer through by, by making sure you have the right agent. One, you know, if the agent has a local presence, you know, they're going to have a lot of relationships with a lot of the other agents, right? Sure. So for me, you know, for my sellers, I want to keep it as smooth as possible. So if I have a relationship with the other agent, I know how they work. That's going to be a huge, a huge thing for me to be able to recommend to my to my seller. So that's number one. Uh, number two, you know, it sounds obvious, but follow the instructions in the multiple listing service. So if if that means that it, you know I need twenty four hours notice, then make sure you give me twenty four hours notice. Don't just show up to the property with with your client. You know, if there are certain things that we require up front uh, before you show, then make sure you ad you adhere to those. Um, so that's 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 uh, number one. Uh, number two is if your client likes the property, you know, as a as a real estate agent, if my client loves the home, I'm not sending a text. I'm not sending an email. You know, as agents, we got to do our job. I got to pick up the phone and feel out the listing agent. Like, wow, like, what do you have? Sure. So, you know, do you have seven offers? What's the seller looking for? And th this is the most important question because everybody assumes a 15-day or a 21-day close of escrow might be the best. But you know what? Maybe my seller's moving out of state and they need a 45-day escrow. Maybe they need a two-week rent, two rent back. So if I just write the offer with a three-week escrow, but you know maybe that's not what my seller needs as opposed to someone who writes the offer with a 45-day escrow and maybe they give my seller two, three uh, free weeks, you know, which one's gonna look more attractive to the seller? So you gotta get on the phone and figure out what exactly the seller wants. What's the seller's needs? Um, you know, find, that, find out from the agent how to make the offer as clean as possible. I'd say 90% of the agents do not call me before they actually write an offer. And as a result, it's, you know, especially in today's marketplace, 
I'm not going to sit here and counter a 10, 11 offers, you know, especially if there's one or two that are really good, we'll, we'll work with those. Sure. And, you know, the final thing that I would say to kind of differentiate yourself is, you know, a lot of buyers do write letters. It's great. Okay. Uh, I, I think that's, that's a starting point. Um, for our buyers, we do video. Interesting. So okay. what we do is I'll shoot a quick video, uh, you know, maybe about 30 to 40 seconds. Just an it, introduction. It would be, you know, hey, hey, this is Scott. You know, this is, uh, I'm here with my wife, Vanessa. We're standing in front of your home. We just walked through it. Oh my gosh, we love everything you did with it. The kitchen remodel is incredible. We can, uh, you know, well, we would love to be able to raise our kids in the backyard. The pool is just sparkling. You know, our daughter just to finish just taking swim lessons right now. We like the fact that you'd be able to play on the street. I grew up around the corner. My parents live like a mile away. Put a human side to it so you're not just a number, right? I mean, at the end of the That's day, it's always, it's always a business decision, but nobody does a video. And we just include the link with the offer. That's it. And and that's all it is. And they're like amazed. And it I, multiple times it has worked. So for the buyers, you know, buyers assume that all the agents are equal. And I can tell you that they are not. And so you need to ask if you're a buyer what your agent's plan is to be able to work through multiple offer situations. We're going to take a quick break for a sponsor, and we'll be right back. Now the big one. Let's talk about selling mm -hmm. a house, because there's a lot of people oh, yeah. right now looking to sell. They either want to get out of the state, they want to move, they want to downsize. Yep. Where do we start when we're looking to sell a house? Well, I think, you know, usually when our sellers are about ready to start, usually a couple months or maybe at least a month ahead of time, they usually have me come over. Um, a lot of our sellers sometimes, well, the house doesn't look great. I said, I don't care. It's just me. You know, I can right. see the I'm vision. I'm not buying it. I'm just judging right. it. And it's funny because, like, you know, for my wife, it's really funny. Like, uh, when we did a remodel of our home, I saw the vision when I was talking with the contractor. And, uh, but she, she couldn't see it. She just could not for the life of her see it. But for me, you know, I, I deal with it on a daily basis. I can always see the end result. So for me, if I walk, walk through a house, I can make some suggestions to it. But one of the things that we've done over the last few years is we have our interior designer, stager, it's part of our marketing cost, okay. come walk through the home. Doesn't mean the home needs to be staged, but um, it allows to, you know, allows the seller to get ideas what they need to get rid of and how they can maybe uh, move around some furniture, declutter. Because when I say it, it's like a parent talking to a child. But when it comes from Christina, our interior designer, it goes a long way. Right. Now she, she knows what she's doing. Right. Right. And I, I find that that's, that's really made a huge difference in what it is. Because so you're a big believer in staging. I'm a big believer in staging. Okay. Yeah, I think it just, you know, over, uh, it's like 98%, according to the National Association of Realtors, buyers looking online. I'm still trying to find the 2% that don't. Right, yeah. Who are those people? Right. And, you know... It, you know, if you're looking online, you know, your curb appeal starts online. Sure. So, so right out front, boom. Right. So you have to have a good photographer, a, a good video. And these days you need like a good, really good 3D tour. We use a company called Matterport. So, you know, those are great. But getting the home ready for sale, I'd say, you know, doing some small projects, taking care of those up front. How small? What are we talking? Like some painting? Maybe some painting, maybe a little bit of flooring, maybe some things like that. Gardening something up front? Exactly. Some, of, some flowers? Exactly. You know, it's like really small projects. I don't, we don't recommend to our clients at this point to be doing a lot of remodeling. Just, just little stuff, right. just surface mm -hmm. stuff. Correct. And you know, that little energy will end up usually kind of really helping you a lot on the backside. Right. It just helps make the house look a lot more pristine. Um, I'd say 
for that, that's really the biggest stuff to get the home ready for sale. Okay. And then I think once you're, um, you know, once you're on the market, uh, you know, it's for the sellers, I tell the sellers is be as flexible as possible with showings. I mean, it sounds easy enough, right? Right. Because, you know. But you got to give up a day. So. so that's fine. So what we usually do is we have our properties come on the market Thursday. Okay. It's enough time Thursday and Friday to show up in all the different internet portals and for all the buyers to get interested and see the home on the weekend when they're not working. And these days during COVID, what we do is like we'll make out blocks of time and uh, agents and their buyers can come around and they, they can schedule a 15 in, in, a minute increment to be able to meet and see the actual home. So that's what we've been doing. So I tell the sellers, like, just give me one weekend. Just give me one weekend and, you know, make it as easy as possible um, to be able to show. So, you know, let's assume that, Matt, that your house is on the, uh, is also for sale across the street and my house is also for sale. Now, your house, agents can come within an hour or two hours notice, but mine requires 24 hours notice. Which house do you think is going to get all the showings? Right. Because in today's world, you know, I have two young kids. You have kids. People have work like in an ideal world. It'd be great if the buyers scheduled their showings for tomorrow today. But it sure. doesn't work that way. No. Like it just, you know, they have life. They have appointments. People have, you know, commitments they have to be at. Especially today, if you're at the house and you can't leave, that makes it more difficult. OK, where right. we got to go. Right. So especially if you have pets. Yes. So so that's why that's why we tell our clients like, you know, Definitely try to make it as easy as possible to show. So that's why it kind of leads them in my third one is that we find that the first, you know, if you're going to be on the market, make sure you have at least one weekend of exposure on the market. Okay. One weekend. So that first. It's funny. That only makes sense. But yet they still fight you on that. Um, sometimes, but when I tell them the importance, I tell them like, well, what's more important to you, convenience or more money in your pocket? Sure. And usually the more money in their pocket wins. Uh, I would hope because so. Because what happens is if, if you put the house on the market Monday, you're going to get bombarded for showing requests oh, through, through through the week. Right. And then let's say even if you get a really good offer during the week, you know, because you didn't play it out through the weekend, you know, do you want to take the chance of losing the really good offer that you received earlier in the week? But at no. the same time, you didn't really have the opportunity to see what your house will get. So we try to make sure we get all the agents and their clients into the house over the weekend. And then Monday, Tuesday, present the uh, present the offer. So we usually tell our sellers, you know, go to the beach for the day. You know, if you have pets, make arrangements for them to go away just for a day, and uh, you know, let me—I'll be there at the property. You know, let us let us handle everything, and that's what happened. Like, you know, for the house that we had over the weekend—they had three dogs and four cats. Jesus. So you know, was it a farm? Pretty much, <laughs> and uh, you know, for them to have showings during the week, it was not going to be feasible. No, so, so they gave me three hours. Up. They gave me uh, three hours on Saturday and four hours on Sunday, and, and we made it work. And we made it work, and we ended up with uh, almost eight offers. That's great. So, so that that's that's how the game works. Do you do you advise the sellers not to be at the property? Um, it depends. I think if it's not, you know, it's certain, it's times where it's hard for us to be there for every showing. Um, you know, because of the way the market is right now, my biggest concern is just overwhelming the sellers. You know, I can tell them what to expect, but until they actually go through it, they get overwhelmed. Sure. You know, it's stressful. They're trying to move and it's a lot for them. Both parties, it's, you know, the buyer and the seller, right. and the most stressful part of right. their lives. Right. So I think it's just, you know, 
um, the sellers can be there. Most of the time, the sellers will either walk away, they'll go outside, they'll go into a different area where it doesn't make a difference. Sure. Right now, what would you advise the sellers if they're going to they're going out and they're going to sell right now during COVID. They have like two weeks and they're going to move to Arizona. What do you tell them? Um, well, I think if if you're a seller, I think not right now is an incredible time to sell. Like, you know, you don't have to compromise. Um, you know, I think your home has to be, if your home is priced right, you're probably going to end up with multiple offers on it. I think that's just the reality of what you're seeing right now. Uh, so I think if that's the case, you know, you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared that you can have multiple offers in a few days on the market. And you need to have a plan that of what you're going to do to, you know, if you're going to go to Arizona, you need to think out and be ready for the fact that you're going to have multiple offers right when you come on the market. And how does that affect your timing? Right. Cause, yeah. so, so I walked through that with our sellers like, hey, it's a possibility that you could have, you know, offers by Tuesday. So what does that mean for you? If we have a fully executed contract, you came on the market Thursday. Now you're in escrow on Tuesday. How long do you need to get out? Right, because there's the short sale, right? Is that becoming more prevalent? I like, don't, see, I don't see the short sales coming back for a while. That short sale is when they owe more on the home than the home is worth. Okay, but but here, you know, we're talking about, you know, how much time the seller needs to get out. They need to have a plan. So if they're moving out of state, we've had several that have moved everywhere from Idaho to Arizona. Uh, we've had one to uh, Washington D.C. Uh, we've had one to Arkansas, of all places. Um, you people want to get away. People want to get away. And so, but, you know, they have to have a plan. Some of them already own a place in those places. Some of them, you know, they were working with another agent to find one. So it, it's critical that you have a plan in place to be able to be ready for it. Now, on the buying side, um, it can be very disheartening because you find a, you're qualified, but you can't because there's not enough inventory, you're competing against 20 other people. And so oh, yeah. that just, you can get a lot of buyer fatigue. And because sometimes what happens is like buyers get so fatigued, they end up offering a lot more money than that they probably should just to get the house. So that can be really hard to deal with. I always tell our buyers like, just remember, you know, you'll, you'll, you will get a house. You're like a therapist in this. Oh, always, always. And you have to always talk your clients down from the cliff. Uh, and just <laughs> you remember- You have your own couch, you bring along with I them. Should. Sit down, I should. Relax. I should put the cot in the back. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I just tell them, hey, look, you know, uh, it'll work out like it just, you know, don't get any, you know, don't get too emotionally involved. And it's hard because they see a house they really like and they don't get it. But it happened to us 20 years ago. Yeah. There were several homes we were for sure thought we were going to get. And then they just came back to us and she said, I'm sorry, they they went with somebody else. Right. You're just like, oh, God. And you got to deal with the wife. I'm sorry. I love the living room. We'll find another one. I know. It's brutal. It's hard. It's hard. Um, what? Okay, so finding, is it looking for a real estate agent as a buyer and seller? Is it the same thing or is there something you should be looking for a little different when you're looking for somebody? Well, I, I think you want to see what their track record is. You'd okay. want to see, you know, I think looking at the reviews online is a, is a good indicator of what their strengths are. Uh, you know, I think if you're looking in for, if you're looking in a particular neighborhood and you have an agent that does a large market share, 
then what you're probably going to want is you're probably going to want to reach out to that agent because on the one hand, they probably know the other homes that are coming on the market. They're already familiar with the neighborhood. So everything that you would want um, in a buyer's agent. And yet at the same time as a listing agent, they probably know of homes that are coming on the market so that you can have an opportunity to see before they hit. It's the most interesting thing because you have this third party person that you normally never deal with like you don't have to do this when you buy a lot of things and now you're Mm -hmm. finding an agent to like help me buy a house help me sell a house and it's a very interesting relationship for those you you hope a couple weeks sometimes it's months right you know I don't actually do business with family Um, it's just not worth it for me no Uh, I remember I sold my grandmother's house and I actually knew the buyer's agent I'm good friends with him they were great. Thank goodness they were easy on their side. My mom and my uncle were absolutely terrible. Uh, I mean, they were just horrendous. I'm surprised any of us are still still speaking out. I mean, they drove me crazy. It was not worth it at all. Um, yeah, that that was that was not good. So I so you know the reason why I bring that up is a lot of agents or a, a lot of buyers and sellers they decide they just go with their friends. And the problem is, like, oh, especially no. on the buying side, it's really hard just because it's your friend and you feel like that's who you trust. You know, do they have the resources and the means to be able to get your offer through? Right. Your what, friend what, what, doesn't mean he's the best. Right. Right. But people think that. People, I don't people, be people think mean, that, they're, that they're licensed. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, it's like not all doctors are the same. Right. Someone finishes last in the class. Right. So, so that that's that's the problem that you have when you're using you know using friends. Like we lost out. Um, I was really surprised, and we've been talking to this seller for a long time. They decided to go with a friend, and I made these recommendations, and they didn't like it. And sure enough, the house is still sitting on the market. And you say, "Wow, you know, three weeks—that's not a long time." But three weeks in this market—that's a long time, right? Yeah. So when your average time is pretty much only you know twenty days, uh, three weeks, and you have not sold the house, like because I'm pretty sure they didn't do what we asked them to do. But you know, I'm not the friend. I'm I'm there to be honest. I mean, you know, whether it be buying or selling, it, it doesn't matter if you're a friend or family. You know, the agent has to be you know responsive, and they have to be brutally honest with you. You know, if I'm not brutally honest with the client, then I'm not helping them. Right. You're not. You're not doing them any favors. Right. Give me a quick breakdown. How is the market in the valley? How's the market in California? And how's the market in the country? Well, I, I think we'll start off with country. We'll start that way first. Okay. Uh, I'd say pretty much all across the country, you're seeing the same thing right now. Just because the interest rates are what they are, inventory is really low. I think in a lot of urban areas, you're seeing a pretty good price increase right now. Um, I know that because our, our seller that's in the process of moving to Washington, D.C., they're looking at the condo prices there and they're like, they can't believe like a condo gets is a million dollars in most areas <laughs> of Washington, D.C. So so the the market overall in the in the entire country is quite strong right now okay right i'd say the same thing pretty much in california i'd say the area that i think uh, i haven't looked at their numbers but if i had to guess if there is one area that might be struggling a bit right now would be san francisco okay and the kind of what we talked about before it's well wait a minute i'm working from home why am i spending all this money in the city when I can just be out in other some of the suburbs of the Bay Area, pay half the price, keep that money in my pocket, and I don't have to commute. 
Right. So I, I think I think that's going to start to play out. And they're okay. still the most expensive per square foot. Yeah, especially like San Jose. San Jose is the number one county. That and that's all tech industry. That's all tech. That's all right. tech. Trip. That's a little different than San Francisco, just because you do have suburbs of San Jose, in right. the actual city. So I, I think that's. But the most of California is in pretty good shape. Now, can the tech in San Jose market because they're such intertwined? Can that survive or is that at some point can't last that long? Well, I think because of the interest rates, what they are right now, and I think of just what people are being paid up there, I think it'll be able to be sustained for a little while. But I mean, I think if the prices go up too high, I think you're going to have a pushback. At any point, if the rates, you know, let's just say they went up a half a point, that would change the entire market. Right. That would change the market here, let alone, you know, let alone there. Because, you know, honestly speaking, someone who's looking like an $850,000 home here probably was looking somewhere close to seven seventy five dollars before the rates dropped. Right. So, you know, that would just really decrease the buying power. And the market in the Valley is very well? Very strong right now. Uh, looks like you had a 77% increase from April to May in pending sales. See now, 77%. So that's amazing. So yeah, I mean, and you had almost a, it was like a, almost an 80% drop in sales from year to year from April of 2019 to April of 2020. I mean, it makes sense because of all the cancellations sure. and, and whatnot. So, you know, the market is really strong. Average time on the San Fernando Valley is about 34 days. Wow. Uh, inventory is really low. You're talking just about under two months supply of, of inventory. So out here, like in this, the zip code that I do the most business is in Porter Ranch, um, it has just over 13,000 single family units. Okay. And then most most zip codes usually typically have between 11,000 to 15,000 homes in them. Okay. So, uh, you know, usually at the beginning of the year in January, usually you usually have about 40 to 50 homes on the market. Okay. Okay. And this time of year during summer, and actually like June is actually like the worst month to sell. Really? Well, typically without COVID, it makes sense because schools are out because they, they get out of school earlier okay. these days and you have graduations, you have weddings, people go on their vacation. Sense. So it's not July, it's more, it's more June, right? So, um, you know, What's going on right now with uh, with the amount of the 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 fact that you have such low inventory and the buyers are gobbling up everything right away? I mean, it's just it's just incredible what you have. So, like in Porter Ranch, nine one three two six zip code, thirteen thousand single family units. I looked this morning, fifty one, fifty one. Normally, this time of year, you would have somewhere between eighty and a hundred. Wow. And and right now because you missed there was no spring buying and selling season sure it's all happening now so it, just all of that it shifted everything just shifted and so you know it's a free-for-all so so to speak and so you know the buyers want to get in the sellers want to get top dollar everybody's you know very happy so to speak and but the inventory is really tight so that's why you have multiple people bidding on properties of of your buyer's age, how what's the average age you see buyers coming in now, and how what's the average I'd age say, of sellers going out? I'd say okay, so the valley had an older population to begin with, uh-huh. so I think a lot of people are selling, you know, um, either retiring, they're moving to be closer to grandkids, they're downsizing, um, it, you know, it just depends on. I'd say most of our sellers are probably over the age of fifty-five. Okay, um, I'd say buyers probably most of them are under the age of forty. Okay. So that's the shift because I've, I've noticed this is it used to be people would sell or 
homes would turn over at a slower rate. You know, people would stay in them longer. And now I see people not staying in their homes. They're like, oh, we're 65, we're retiring, we're out of here. You we don't I, need a big home. You know what? I haven't seen the latest numbers. When I first got into the business, it was 11 years was the average time that a, a homeowner spent in their home. And then over the course of the last few years, it's under seven now. Wow. And it makes sense because, you know, if you bought a, let's say you had a condo and then, you know, right. cause, cause, cause you, because you've had a marketplace that has allowed it to go in an upward trajectory over the course of the last decade. So what's transpired is, you know, you can, you've had equity every time you've moved up. And so every two, three years, you can move up and get something, something bigger. Right. And just use the equity from that place. Of your sellers, how many do you see getting out of the state of California? Uh, we see a good amount. Um, I think... Just j- retirees and we're like, yeah, see ya? Yep. Some of them, like we just, some, some went to Idaho. Um, a lot of them are moving closer to grandkids. Right. Some of them are just downsized. Some of them don't want to be in California anymore. I think it just it just depends. Right. I mean, retiring in the state's going to be tough. So if right. you have a home that you can make a lot of money at, selling it, that's a great egg. Right. And so the, the, uh, for a lot of people, that's the only investment they have. Right. It's so, their biggest one right. most of the time. Right. So, that's why it's so scary getting into it. Right. And um, so I, I think, you know, it, you have a lot of people moving about in California, but we do have a lot of people going out. I, I, I'd say maybe it's about 60, 40, maybe going out of California. Okay. But you have a lot of buyers buying so it kind of evens out and and, you know and what you're seeing is because of covid you know you know if if you really think about it is there was a problem with the renter the renting market right because that's what's really been affected and because unfortunately and it's just terrible what's going on right now is the people who are being affected are service workers you know and most of those people are renting they're not buying sure and we talked to like the the owners of a lot of apartment buildings that that i know and i know um, like they said in April, I'd say the average delinquency rate was 10%. And uh, in May, it was closer to like 16, 17%. Wow. So I haven't asked for June, but my guess is like those numbers are probably going to increase as you move as you move forward. So, but I think the people that are employed, you know, that have jobs, you know, that's not going to change. Do you have any more advice for buyers and sellers? Any words of wisdom, anything you can part on them that might be a helpful yeah, I'd say do your homework. You know, do your best. You know, interviewing. You know, interviewing the agent. I think inter- the agent that you have can make the world of difference to get your offer and make it as stress-free as possible. I think you know. I think that's that's a big one. We try to take a lot of stress off our our buyers and our sellers. Uh, Bless you, child. And uh, <laughs> you know, it just I just there's. I'm in the business, and I know there's very few things more difficult than moving. And, uh, you know, so we try to make it as easy as possible. You know, we have a plethora of different vendors that can help with almost any possible task you can think of when it comes to homes. And so just having those in the back pocket and making it easier and taking the stress. The the client that we're talking about, the Washington, D.C., you know, they painted, they put in some carpet. Uh, We had them do some other, a few, few small things around the house, and I oversaw everything. Like I, I made sure it was all done so that way they didn't have to worry about it. That's nice, taking that stress off. So, right, again, so you know, you want to make it as, and you know, if you, if you, you know, it kind of makes sense because if you think about it as a consumer, I think that's kind of what the consumer demands right now. I think just the consumer really needs, you know, in today's economy, everything needs to be consumer centric. You know, you need to help and go out of your way to me. I mean, it should be obvious, but it doesn't seem to be that way in my business, but. 
Okay, real estate. You got any good horror stories to leave us with? Because there's, <laughs> you know, there's reality shows now. Everybody's selling and building homes and buying and million dollar of this. You got any good stories over the 16 years? You can. I'll I'll, I'll tell you something more more funny because it okay. worked out okay. Those are even better. So I was just because I was just telling the story to somebody the other day. <laughs> so maybe about seven eight years ago, maybe a little longer. We had a condominium in Chatsworth in escrow. Okay. And it was in escrow at 415, uh, entry-level condo. And uh, the buyer had removed all their contingencies, so there was no way for them to back out. And on a Monday morning, I get a call from the buyer's agent saying they had to back out. And I said, why? I said, "You are the buyer already removed all their contingencies. What happened? Scott, you're not going to believe it. The buyer gambled away their entire down payment <laughs> over the weekend in Vegas. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Really? And he's like, well, the buyer realizes that they are at fault and they will be releasing their initial deposit earnest money to the seller because they would have lost. They would have lost in any court sure. of law oh, yeah. for, 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 for doing that. And I said, okay. So the seller got to keep 10 grand. And, uh, and then we ended up selling it because, again, we were in an upward market. The unit ended up selling for four twenty-five. So it worked out good for the seller. She ended up netting another $20,000 in her pocket. <laughs> so, you know, there's always things like that, you know, that, you know, that transpire. Uh, I mean, look. So the words of wisdom, do not gamble. Do not gamble. You're dead. You're down. You know, if you're buying a, if you're buying a home, don't be buying a timeshare. Don't be buying a car. You know, don't be changing jobs, you know, while, while you're in escrow. These are things that you, you, know, you can't be doing. And stay away from Vegas. And stay away from Vegas. Even Morongo Casino. Stay yes. away. Stay away. Yes. Until yes. you have the home. Yes. Until you close escrow, then you can then you can gamble away whatever left you have. So, oh, good Lord. Yeah. Well, okay. So where once again, where can we find you? Right, Joe. So you can find me at a lot of places, uh, social media, Instagram. Uh, we like being on there. Uh, Scott Himmelstein, my name. Uh, YouTube, uh, youtube.scottworksforyou.com. Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, Scott Works For You. Um, and those are probably you know the three biggest places. Okay. Um, you can find me. If you want to take out our, our Zillow profile, uh, we have uh, 82 five-star reviews right now. Uh, Zillow.scottworksforyou.com is the link to go check out our our Zillow page. All right. And I'll put links in the podcast. Make sure if anybody's in the area, they want to find something. You've been great. I appreciate it. Thank you Always for helping. Always a pleasure, man. Good to see thank you. you. It's weird, but thank you for helping people like who hopefully they hear this and they're like, oh, okay. I, I have a checklist now. Because right. buying a home is terrifying. It is. Like having kids is really bad. <laughs> buying a home, though, because you're putting down serious, serious money. Yep. So I appreciate you taking the time and like walking people, at least hearing it. And then the selling side, like just what it takes to sell a home because yeah. it's the market for them right now. Right. And that's what's, that's what's transpiring right now in, the, in today's marketplace. Scott, I appreciate the time. Always a pleasure, my friend. All right. Let's go have some lunch. All right. Sounds good. Yes. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. Please subscribe and hit the like button where you just listened. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We also have a website, justagoodconversation.com, where you can leave 